and me in the war of the end times I believed California succumbed to the fault lines We heaved relief Scores of innocents died And the Andalusian tribes Setting the lay of Nebraska light Till all the remains are the arms of the angels Eddie Green Queen of supply side Bonamy bone drag You know what I mean On the road It's well advised to follow your own bag Here the chewable ambient tab And the Panamanian child Sending the Dowager Empress's side Till all that remains are the arms of the angels Till all that remains are the arms of the angels Bones will come home. We'll come home. Quiet now. Will we gather to conjure the rain down? Will we now? Build a civilization below ground And I'll be crowned The community kick it around And the Andalusian tribes Setting the lay of Nebraska light Till all that remains are the arms of the angels Till all that remains are the arms of the angels Welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. That was Calamity Song, a song that Robert leads when the Wasties cover it. I wanted him to start with a Wasties track like the other guests. I, of course, am Matt. I'm John. I'm Steve. And we also have Robert with us from the Wasties, the Rose West, Eli August and the Abandoned Buildings, and probably other stuff too. I think my count's at nine bands at this point. <laughs> you have a problem. Can't I tell you how many podcasts we referred to you as polybanderous. Oh, that was a coin. That was a phrase coined by a, a former bandmate of ours. <laughs> yeah, that's um, And repeated by Penless Parker. <laughs> so, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you in our ever-continuing quest to collect all the Wasties. The last member, Alex, will be a lot 
harder. Uh, I'm glad to be here, and I have to tell you, the uh, gold-covered walls uh, and real bearskin rug have been a major uh, additive touch to it's, your. Uh, it's actually what about not the chalices? Real? No, 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 no. I have chalices, no comment on the chalices. I, I might have removed them from the room for uh, future chalice usage later, so not really adding to the current ambiance. But okay, fair enough. I like your usage of ambiance. <laughs> um, the apt usage. The only usage, one might say. Well, the fact I, that he used it. I was no, commenting no, no. on the fact that he used it at all. I use that word. I just Yay, don't word use, use it in the marked. right way. I mean, I've used it quite often. I was yeah, really, but you mispronounce it. I, I was rather enjoying Ambience. the use of the word apt, which really I only find attached to words like usage. That's, yeah. well, no, that's you're, fair. That's... And altogether, it in itself was apt. Mm. You mispronounced it, though. He overpronounced it, not mispronounced it. There's well, a difference. There, there was a pop in that pronunciation that's not an English uh, syllable, necessarily. <laughs> Is this a diction lesson? Yes. And, and we just, like... Oh, well, fine. I'm changing the write-up Welcome to diction lessons okay. with crash chords. Let's get ourselves on track. So, I think that you should tell us about the album, because you obviously brought it, and it means a lot more to you. Oh, all right. Uh, I was actually really excited to get the chance to talk about uh, Gerard Way's first solo endeavor. Um, actually, I've been a big fan of My Chemical Romance. I tend to consider them one of my influences. And uh, when the band split up, number one, I was really disappointed. But uh, number two, the opportunity to get to hear more of Gerard Way's creative output was really exciting to me. Uh, and it was really exciting to me up until, uh, I think, October last year when we talked about reviewing this record. And I listened to it in my car for the first time. <laughs> Well, that that implies we one have of to two spoilers. <laughs> no, no, that implies one of two things. Either he the excitement is now over and you've gotten this great product, or the excitement is now over and you've gotten this terrible product. Oh, so now then, you're then, gonna... then I spoiler. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, damn it, man, we could have had a cliffhanger. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I do give you credit where credit's due, though. You picked this last year when it came out to come on knowingly this year, and I appreciate you sticking with it, even though having heard it, you could have easily changed your mind, well, but you decided to stick it. Out. It's important to do to talk about things even when you don't necessarily love them because you know especially when you have a lot of opinions on music and as a musician it's kind of hard not to uh, when there's something that you're looking forward to and excited about and it strikes you in a way that you don't expect there's a lot to talk about. Well, one of the main reasons we do this is of course you know you have the chance to give everything its due share. You know we're going to talk about this at length as we do every single album. So even if you come here with an album that you know you might be a little bit unsure on, a little in the rocks on, or even really really decided on, it's still worth like identifying exactly what made you feel that way because it might make another listener feel exactly another way. Yeah. So, uh, shall we begin? It's yeah. an early start, but I think um, like we'll not keep our listeners waiting. Gerard Way's Hesitant Alien. First track is The Bureau, and coming in blind, it should be said that based on the cover of this album, it's kind of an interesting thing to admit, it, it had me believing that I was going to get like a pop or new wave sound. I mean, he looks very slick, he looks youthful, this burgundy red hair, thin tie, pasty complexion, I thought I was going to get that sort of pop new wave type thing, and instead I got this sleazy, strung out guitar, curdled bass sound, and I was taken aback just a bit, because I, at the time, did not know that, that was the guy from My Chemical Romance. And in the end, would that have helped me? No, because I did not know either, and I know Matt, in fact, did, and was this what you were expecting? No. Um, but also, <laughs> I did mention last week that he was, so... Although, uh, so I'll go back to the idea of what you see on the album cover, because that's another interesting thing for me. Like, uh... The fact that he's presenting himself in a way that's deeply contrasted, highly colorful, 
um, it was uh, broadcasting the same kind of theatricality that I expected from records from My Chemical Romance. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of stuff that I would think an album from Gerard Way would have. There's a sense that there's going to be drama involved, something that's a little bit over the top, uh, which is, again, talking about that very first track. And what you get off the bat is over the top, but well, not I think, expected. I think the way to put it is not so much theatrical. I think like traditional, uh, traditional analyses of music would probably consider that theatrical to be, say, the inverse of a garage-bound sound, which I think is, is wholly what we get at the very beginning here. As I said, it's this, like curdled bass sound doubled with an organ uh, which Robert pointed out I didn't even notice that because of how it was mixed I thought that was just an effect on the bass itself but in the end I'm not so sure it really worked out it gives the it gives off the effect of like a a very old maybe uh, cheap music setup like cheap music equipment sort of surrounding your production uh, it's not to impugn that I think a lot of garage bands have really built decent things off of that but what, one thing that struck me early on is that there's a lot of reviews about this album that say, oh, it's this return to form, or rather not his form, but a form that was that was hailed in, let's say, the 80s, early 90s, a kind of garage-bound atmosphere which is very raw, very youthful, and within that, it could be argued, you might have a lot of theatricality. Well, the, the thing that I'm going to take in terms of the production, and I fix it on production, it's one of the things that I like doing, I work, you know, not just with the bands that I perform in, but uh, I'm constantly building out my... Uh... My, my resume is a producer, so I fix it on, on how a sound is produced, how it comes across in the mix. And one of the things that's really bizarre about this record is that even from instrument to instrument in the mix, it's a little bit uh, bipolar. So the mm. drum production, for example, is very big and very modern. It's not a, a drum sound you would capture with, you know, like an overhead sitting in a garage somewhere. It's a seriously big studio drum sound. But then, actually getting back into the organ sound, the organ sound is the same way. It's definitely a weird tone, but it's definitely high-end production. But... Some might argue that because those are the trickier things in order to record, that very often they require that kind of setup. But when you go back to very simple guitar, bass, often they don't. And I think that's the bipolar quality you're talking about, is that it's very evident that even if it's not true, even if they're using high-quality studio equipment, the, the post-production material on it is make, made to make it sound raw and, and frankly, a little bit ugly but up it, front. And it belies a falsity. This distortion, though, that they're, that they're using on the guitar, on the bass, which the bass is barely present, it's, it's so just mangled. Well, I can't, I can't get on board with it, and bass is one of my favorite lines to follow along in any song. The distortion is doing no favors to the song itself because it's not supporting the vocals, not that the vocals are that good to begin with, it's not supporting the emotions, and it's not supporting, or it's not being supported by the drums, by the percussion, because the percussion just comes off as overwhelming in this case. I do agree with that, but you know, it's kind of, you have to look at this chronologically. In the beginning, all you really get is just that guitar and bass, and the bass is very audible right here. It steps in right off the bat uh, with tritones, so it's not only texturally raw, it's tonally raw. And that's just your flat five right there in the beginning, starts descending chromatically, sort of constricting the intervals up and hammering out this very deadened staccato, just each beat on the beat. And I think that is one of the main reasons why, as an opening track, this this comes off as very, as very blasé. Blasé, yet completely chaotic and having no flow and confusing as hell. 
Uh, see, I can't use that word cha chaotic. I think that's really just from the overall effect because well, you interpret it so generally speaking. You can't hone in in one area and say, ah, oh, that stood out, or that sound was really, really crisp. When everything is just reeled back, when everything, when the focus lens is turned off, then you interpret it as chaotic, when in fact it's very regular, very structured, thus maybe very boring. Well, but harmonically, it's, in, it's absolutely cacophonous, and in that regard it is absolutely chaotic in the sense that the dissonance isn't structured in an appealing kind of way. Um, it's difficult to, to sit there, like for example, usually when, I, when I'm writing a song or I'm playing a song, I think really carefully, like, um, how, how are these vocal harmonies sitting? Uh, what's the chord motion? What am I trying to get across? And instead I get this feeling like the guitar part in particular is never moving. It's staying, uh, it's the same dissonant, again, hitting on the tritones when it's uh, moving against the uh, root of the chord. But that dissonance just sort of stays where it is arbitrarily. Well, it could be argued for the for guitar. It's very hard to really be like off pitch because you have frets, and really you have to be you know completely off center in order to be off pitch on a guitar. But at the end of the day, there are ways in order to make it sound loose. I don't think I would go so far as to say cacophonous in this instance. I would just say it's meant to sound impure. Um, I think that's the idea behind this. And again, that's based on part of the reviews that I read, so I admit I'm taking a little bit from the media for this angle. But it, it's it's the kind of thing that, when I think cacophonous, I think noise rock. And I don't believe we're getting noise rock here. I think we're just getting guys in a garage, figuratively speaking. We haven't gotten noise rock yet. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. There's a lot of different angles to cover on this album. Well, needless to say, though, I, I think it's safe to that this track just... It might be regular and boring in construction when you really analyze it, but there's nothing to invest you invest you in it. It feels very soulless and very empty and just sound for sound's sake. There's nothing to attach you to anything that's going on. Well, Which, let's look at what they're going for right here, because when you look at the lyrics, there's a lot of this to. stuff. No, no, I'm no. going to look at them because Wang a Chung. lot of this stuff is Everybody very dissenting tonight. That's Everybody. really what I kept on hearing the whole time. That you was what? what I found to latch onto in this song. Did that sound like Wang Chung? <laughs> yeah. Everybody went chunk tonight. Ooh. And in fact, it's everybody, we're going live tonight. Everybody's getting on tonight. Everybody's getting on and so am I. This is that kind of like rousing track that's supposed to be anthemic in a sense that, hey, come to our show, man. Come to our show. It's our first. But that's my biggest problem going on here. Everything else that this song is doing is not that rousing feel. The vocals are so just poor. Not even bad, just poor vocals. They're, they're third or fourth layer back. They're so drowned out by the distortion of the guitar, by the ever-present beating of the drums. It's If you're going to do rousing, do rousing. Have some lilt in your voice that's going to do it. Even if you're going to take this step back for the vocals, have some sort of emotion invested into them. But between the idea of trying to be a little bit anthemic and yet throwing in words like get up, get in, the operator for the boogeyman, we sit up, begin. Now, levitator, please connect me to the Holy Ghost. Wait, no, no, these aren't making sense here. It's <laughs> well, think, just random well, words. And first of all, I gotta go back to a couple things you said right here, only because you mentioned, you know, rousing, that it's not rousing in traditional sense. Like, that depends on what you see as rousing. Rousing is... Do, do you see that as the kind of thing that needs to be this, like, consistent crescendo? Very often, rousing tracks, I find rather bland in them themselves. Because they, they, they set out with this point. They set out with this idea that, you know, well, 
the only re reason you're listening to this track is to surround the artist in question and go to their show and, and sort of idolize them in a sense, and I find it very off-putting. And those tracks tend to be very flat, since, hence I don't see it as cacophonous or rousing at all. That's why I said emotional. There was a no emotional investment into this song to make me want to feel anything that he's saying or anything that he may think he's saying well, and or anything that he's trying to make me feel. And that had a lot to do with the production. I mean, again, one of the things I kept on thinking was that the vocal that made it out as the lead sounds more like he went in to record the first couple of raw passes of the vocal, sucked mm -hmm. them off to the sides of the mix as a backup, and then just forgot to record a lead. I mean, it's the problem with the whole approach to it, vocally speaking. Like, you can take abstract words. I'm the king of writing difficult-to-comprehend, bizarre lyrics, but you can sell them. As a performer, as a vocalist, you can sell that because it's what's coming from you. And I get that he's trying to present this anthemically, but he's not selling it. No, he's not selling it because you're right, there's that single cut, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that his his vocals are mostly just yelling in a very juvenile sense. <laughs> I mean, it, it's true, you, you at times referred to it as being kind of distant, like shouting at the bottom of a pool, I think was one <laughs> way you put it earlier. He was transforming and, into a mermaid at the time. Exactly. So there's just this like muffled, you know, barrier between him and the diaphragm, and when it ultimately gets there, you just get this gurgled mess. And that's unfortunate because I know what he was trying to do there. Well, like, I feel within like there that, was... though, I find some distasteful things. And that's only within the lyrics here. One moment, there's like, we've got no love for the man. I think that was one line in here. It's like, okay, so you just decided to interject this, this rousing, self-aggrandizing uh, self track with a little bit of street cred. Well, they had to tie it into the name. I mean, it's called The Bureau. Nothing else in the song even remotely <laughs> ties to the title. See, it's these disparate uh, uh, ideas, these disparate concepts that are more my problem than just the, the cacophony in question. It's the idea that the angle is, well, it's, is, it's even is ide off. It's even ideologically cacophonous. Yes, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> something I you won't find me disagreeing with you. But if you're struggling to find a connection to the title in this song, just wait for the next song. <laughs> Action Cat, which action actually has nothing to do with an Action Cat. Not that I found. It's it like, may be a reference eh. to the early YouTube craze of videos of cats doing silly things, and then the manufactured craze of setting up cats to do crazy or silly things in a more artificial sense. That's deeper than the entire lyrical content of this song. I think you may have stretched that a little too far. Yeah, I think you were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm disclaiming it. I'm going to start. <laughs> uh, this action cat is. It begins very steadily, just like straight eighth notes of distorted C sharp. C sharp, C sharp, C sharp, C sharp. Over and over again by the guitar. And I'm all for that just in the way of like tension building, but surprise, surprise, C sharp is our tonic. And there's no tension to be had in a tonic. So after about four measures, we're firmly in a pleasant C-sharp major, uh, melody and all, eighth note figuration just maintained, but yet the verse, when that steps in there, is like a flip between that and the relative minor, another thing that we've frequently cited in the podcast as sort of this pop song trick, or trope if that's the way you see it, that I think is in danger of becoming cliche only when it's presented in such a plain fashion. And I always liken it to the easiest way possible to give your song depth from the ground up, because when you shift to the relative minor, it darkens up the tone a little bit. Relative minor is kind of like a contemplative aside. And the lyrics, if you look at that, they kind of support that. There's some forlorn hope going on, but the main problem I have here 
is implementation. It's like that of the everyman. Because it's used so frequently, you need to maintain this with some semblance of, uh, of texture, additional instrumentation, something to, to make a very, very old uh, chord progression, as old as, as, as uh, Western music itself, sound new. And this caused the chorus in particular, but the lyrics themselves, to come off as very limp, very unenthused. That's uninspired. A word I, no, not uninspired. I think he was reaching for something here. There is some metaphorical texture that might lead to something. Just unenthusiastic about everything, which is really not a very good way to, to try to tell the... I, I think idea that's going on here. Well, I mean, it's even getting back into the motion of the song, the structure of the song. I mean, it, it's been, it, it was a theme that was established initially in the Bureau, and it's continuing into this tune. Uh, comparing it, the, the drum beat pretty much stays static without change. I mean, it's essentially the same, uh, the same rhythmic figure coming out of two songs, unending. I mean, you have to get to two and a half minutes into the track before there's any textural change rhythmically, apart from just the rhythm of the part that Gerard is putting forward as the lead, and it's mm -hmm. not enough to sell the tune. <laughs> it just all kind of bleeds together. Like Steve said verse before, but me and John struggled to even find a verse. Well, it just all it just sounded the same as the rest of the choruses. Here's my take, because if you look at the chord progression, all right, it does start off with that sort of 1-6, one, 1-6, six, one, six, uh, that's your major relative minor. And then as a way to kind of reel it back, it uses, all right, up to the 4 chord, up to the 5 chord, finally we reel it back to 1. It's a very standard turnaround. But thankfully, and this is the only thing I'll give it some credit for, it doesn't just repeat that cycle. We do get one change up after that return to the 1, and this is where it steps down to a minor 3 chord. I actually found that to be one of the most interesting parts of the song, but unfortunately it's lost because the rhythm is so static. So that moment, which could have been really good, is lost, well, number one, because of the texture itself, because of the rhythm, but then secondly, because it uses the same exact turnaround to follow that. It goes back into the four chord, back to the five chord, and then suddenly we're, we're back to the cycle. So it's like, it was, a, it was a more expanded cycle, I'll grant it. It's not a consistent two chord track, but there was more potential in the idea, the spark they had at one moment that was never really fulfilled, such that it keeps you on a longer cycle that your brain can't really process. Hence, you just process it as noise. Well, and also you said it had one whole change-up. One. Well, in the that's, whole song. It's more like that's the moment that you're gonna remember well, if you if you peer into this as deeply as I did. My point is is that that unless you're intentionally peering pretty deeply into it, you're not gonna get much out of it. It's very predictable. It's repetitive, except for that one moment where it changes up, and it just bleeds together. I get that there is a minor definition, but you're right. It all becomes noise after. I a while. use this word very loosely, but it was like a mid-phrase epiphany that was never fully formed. <laughs> Yeah, but when you have choruses that are five times the length of your actual verse work, when I would actually call the no. verses pre-choruses, yeah, yeah, I would call the verses pre-choruses, I would call that one section that has slightly different rhythm of syllables a bridge, quote-unquote. Well, this, this is a song that's trying to sell you on the idea that there's enough affection between the narrator, Gerard, whoever, and another person, that he's missing that person, the mutual missing is like this important emotional construct. Right. But again, talking about the verse, I'm gonna say there is a verse, 
but that verse is like a brief moment. That's not enough to engage you. It's it's subtle, and that's using using that transition moment, that sort of crux uh, moment that I mentioned. That's how we kind of are brought into the chorus. But again, it's subtle. You barely even notice it because the overall feel is generally the same. Let's look at the lyrics here. We want television bodies that we can't keep. We have battles in the dark when she falls asleep. Then we step into the chorus, uh, or rather. Yeah, no, then we step into the core. The chorus is, we can make it up again, we can make it up again, and we don't care, we just pretend, with our faces on the mend, and don't ask a lot, and you won't lose a lot, don't ask for much. That's your chorus, and in general, that's just like one whole stanza together. You feel it that way, in the overall sense, because in if, if you're stepping out from, let's say, a more complex album, then you step into this, then you just see that as a more complex verse as a whole. It never really hit any climax for you, it just had more internal intrigue. But that itself is what <laughs> is what a good verse would comprise. Instead, that here is the actual separator, and it's the only separator you have in the piece, aside from perhaps the bridge. Which, the bridge is, I'm kind of back and forth on. That stepped into another just two chord progression that goes back and forth between the six and the five. Which is not a terribly interesting moment uh, compared to that three, but, you know, it's... It's this wall of sound that I just couldn't get past. So that by the time we reach the bridge, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, I, I had lost interest in the song about halfway through. And also, like, what uh, Rob was saying is it, he's trying to convey this emotion in the lyrics that's not there at all. And so when you have a song based around an emotional connection with no emotion in the way it's sung, it just is going to fall flat. Well, going back to what Robert mentioned, there, there is this sort of forlorn figure that is present within this track. Unfortunately, there's, there's, there's this attempt to kind of cloud the true feelings there, I feel. At least it seems like the attempt. That's the only way I would figure that this song was constructed. And a lot of people do try to hide their feelings. I don't know. Maybe that's thinking of it too deeply. But frankly, there was no attempt to really like highlight the figure. It's a sort of, as I put it earlier, when you think of that relative minor, it's like an aside. You well, just had a moment where you thought you were ruminating a bit. The, the figure is, is on your mind. And then you step right back to the chorus that everybody knows and loves. Well, and that's one of the things that I think it continues to be a flaw, in, at least in the tracks that we've seen and a couple more that, that come after. It's that music, to me at least, and I think for a lot of people, it's a form of communication. Mm -hmm. And while there's a lot to be said about using vagaries and using obfuscation to, to hide meanings in a way that changes the nature of what you're communicating, at the end of the day, I can't say that I walked away from either of these first two tracks knowing at all what what Gerard or the band behind him were trying to communicate, and that's the big flow. Yeah, you were saying off-air earlier that, you know, one of the reasons you do go to two tracks is because, well, in his vocals particularly, you, you want to hear his story being told, and that's just not the case here. I mean, whenever any vocalist attempts to cloud their... Uh, to cloud their story by either poor vocals or simply by not promoting them on a pedestal in some way, which you can do using music. That's why we have music, is because it kind of brings the emotion you could get from raw poetry to life in a sense. Here, it, it, it rather, it might as well just be one or the other. Yeah. From here, we go to uh, No Shows, which is track three. And like Robert had mentioned, in the previous track, drums are consistent. They are still consistent here. Eh. I mean, this is just kids from yesterday off Black Parade. <laughs> One thing we do get here, which, as Steve was saying in the pre just now, the previous track had no story. Here we have, we do have a story in the lyric progression. This is something I do want to hone in on. But this is the most naive story I've ever heard. This is a guy 
coming up with probably the silliest musical puns I've ever been been <laughs> exposed to. Been weeks I've been living and your smiles are giving me all types of treble. Weak needs I've been given and those nights are making me starstruck and metal. <laughs> See, I heard living in a yard doing kegels. <laughs> <laughs> really? And that was my misinterpreted lyric that I wrote down. <laughs> yeah, I remember we had a few of those where it's, it's worth bringing to the table because, frankly, if, if three different people get together and say, Hey, yeah, did you hear the re- recent, recent album? Yeah, I love that line. Wait, he said that? No, I, I thought he said this, and it turns out that none of you were right. Um, <laughs> that's the, This is the album for that type of exactly. misinterpretation. Uh, yeah. And, well, you know, sometimes that's just the only way of it. To be honest, texture-wise, I kind of enjoyed this sound just a little bit more. I thought it was a slight bit grittier, more of a punchier guitar riff. Um, rhythm-wise, there's something a little bit different about it. It's a little bit more of an emphasis on the two and the four, on the upbeat here. That's how I felt it. And Actually, talk, some... talking before about what you were saying regarding drums as a, a lo-fi vehicle or not a lo-fi vehicle mm-hmm. and how in tracks like the Bureau, etc., the drums and the guitar tend to be uh, rougher, grittier. Um, they did the opposite with the drum track, whereas the first two have a really clean, kind of polished, awesome, big drum sound. Specifically, even though the beat itself is almost the same as from the previous two songs, uh, the actual production is way lower fidelity, which changes the character in a way that's weirdly incoherent to the other tracks. Yeah, that is kind of a funny thing, but yet there's some some kind of blend between the... Uh between the drums and the guitar here, where they're kind of like in sync from a rhythmic angle. Um, but then, yeah, when you when you start adding in the other things, I think that's really more where I depart. Like when you add in the vocals, um, it's that's that's fairly the same. The vocals yeah, are, are really as far changed. as the verses are concerned, are very stable. But this is where it changes up for me. During the verses, in addition to the vocals, which may or may not, you know, it depends on how you feel about them, there is a secondary element, and that is the female choir stepping in here with this crooning, like, like ooh in the background. It's just a very simple uh, refrain, you know, just stepping up from the one, two, three, back to one. Um, it's, it's, it's fairly interesting. It kind of kept it alive. It allowed me just to take some, some measure of focus off the vocals, the, the primary vocalist, which is pretty much status quo as the previous track. But then further, it was the choruses where this really steps up. The progression is that of a 6-5-4 deal, and it kind of regresses in a very defeated way. But then alongside that, that same female choir starts harmonizing in thirds and it descends with the chords, you know, in the whole triad sense. So the choir joins in tandem. And it's kind of like this nice overall effect. It brings it around in a, in a, in a cooler way. Well, it provides a, a bed for the vocal to lay in that hasn't been presented yeah. on the album so far. I mean, it's the first time where I feel like the backing vocals... Uh, are a real thing that are allowing, you know, the lead part to kind of take its prominence in the arrangement. And they're brief fleeting moments because, again, it's really, it's done almost as a as a round. Mm-hmm. But they screw it up. It is, there's one nitpicky part. And it's actually a fairly large component of the vocals themselves. The radio voice. <laughs> I don't like that. Especially in this case, his, his his words are hard enough to hear as it is because of the distortion that's going on. That's just through these last three songs. Yeah, but it's so good but to the, think about Gerard Way standing at the bottom of a pool with a megaphone shouting up at two uninterested girls humming along for no good reason. Well, the reason I call it the radio voice <laughs> is like you're recording a radio and NPR whatever, and then you're putting it on the track in as a separate piece. It's it's double recorded, but that kind of effect is pretty cheesy. 
The only time it really just stands out as maybe it could have gone somewhere was when there was a big breakdown, everything kind of dropped out, and it had the radio voice. Yeah, that was cheesy in its own other way. It was tropey in its own other way, but it was a much, I guess, more appropriate use of that kind of effect on his vocal work. Well, and it was the first moment of the entire album where I thought to myself, okay, I could listen to an album that, that built off of this aesthetic. I mean, it had a direction. It was audible. You could hear what he had to say. And even if the, the, the trick, the vocal process was, you know, kind of tropic, uh, that was effective. I felt communicated to in a way that I had not yet. Well, but, one of the reasons it does that is because uh, what it, it kind of changes up the mode. It steps in here with uh, a parallel motion. It's, it started off in E major. Now, all of a sudden, there were in E minor, right? So... And in fact, furthermore, harmonic minor, because it's like this gnarly, demonic guitar flanging that steps in here, right? So it's like once the second you include like this 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 uh, this minor six chord, that's where you get the harmonic minor sound. And while I do agree that maybe the wraparound to this was a little bit sloppy, I think that I'm kind of with Robert. I enjoyed what this what this half of the track could have been had it perhaps been the entire concept. But then I started thinking as I was listening to this, like, is is the concept, in fact, to really warp something that sounded very, very, you know, family-friendly, as it were, and then make it distorted? And that is the effect that we ended up having, without which you might not even have it. Well, and also the heavy distortion comes from these bizarre, I guess you can call them guitar solos, but the guitar starts creating these weird spirals and sounds that had no point other than to feel like you're going in circles. Like, they didn't go anywhere. They didn't really build on anything. It was someone beating on a guitar, making solo sounds. Well, this is okay, because someone's just been beating on the drum for the last three tracks. We're not getting anything different. He's consistent. You have to say that. He's consistent. I really think Gerard Way was just gradually trying to drive his drummer to suicide. I think it's the other way around. Let's replace you. That's okay. It's like, oh, we have a drum machine. I don't know. Can I make you a human drum machine? Why I don't know, Dave. <laughs> um, and it just it it added a, a soullessness to the rest of the track. That even though there were other things that were kind of popping out, once those solo-ish guitar parts started, I couldn't focus on anything but it because it was just making noise and it was distracting. I don't know. I I'll play devil's advocate only because I do have a flair for the warped. I mean, I like hearing something that is a little bit abstract in a sense. But it is true. I I I think I disagree with the ideology behind why he included this section. I think it came out more of, hey, let's just screw around a little bit. I don't think it came out of any kind of, like, like grounded uh, mental disturbance, which, frankly, would have been more interesting. Probably. From here, though, we go to something that, all around, I think we can safely say we all enjoyed, which yep. is a nice change of pace, considering we're at the fourth track already. I, before, I actually am going to say I love this track. Okay. Brother. Uh, I will just put one caveat there. I think we're liking it because of what we just got. I disagree completely. Because, I, well, no. I liked it. I liked it aside from the rest of the record. Actually, I liked it in spite of the rest of the record. I'm, I'm with you here. I mean, uh, honestly, when I look at the entire album, there are two tracks that I can think of that I enjoyed. And I, I enjoyed this one, too. I had, uh, you know, uh, complaints about it. But, again, sometimes things that you like, you can still criticize. This was a strong track overall. I liked it. Let's start off at the beginning here. This begins with kind of this old hurdy-gurdy piano sound, or if not that, something kind of worn, like a cheap spinet, perhaps. But it's the steady, like, simple child's play piano at first, which, you know, actually kind of has a purpose in a way. It's like chopsticks, just 
in each note, you know, each hand, filling out the full D octave. Left hand starts descending in major, right hand keeps hammering out that D, except for a C sharp or two. But on the ascent, the left hand brings us back to this harmonic minor sound with an inclusion of an A sharp, most cunningly foreshadowing our new instrument, the bass, which steps in there as a secondary instrument, very nicely blending with the piano, and it brings us more to a relative B minor sound. See, again, there's that relative minor, but this time, great implementation. Absolutely love how it stepped in because of the duality between these two instruments. Well, there's also the fact that uh, along that entire sequence, I mean, to begin with, there is something to be said that uh, just texturally the sound of um, the tact piano, that sort of classic, almost Abbey Road-ish mm -hmm. Beatles sound, is really interesting, but they, they sneak in the bass. The kick drum comes in. Uh, gradually over that entire span. Exactly. So by the time the song shifts character and we get into the choruses, which have a completely different feel, it's actually kind of snuck up on us in, in a way that has a great build. And it's the first time in any of these tracks that that kind of structural movement uh, has been a key element of one of the songs. You mean because well, we had some semblance of progression at all? Yeah, That's... we're getting instruments that are working together as opposed to copying one another. To it, this is, it's like the antithesis of jazz is what we got beforehand. <laughs> one guy starts playing and the other guy doesn't play off him. They were playing with him, directly with him. Here, they're actually coming together. But the thing is, even within that, there is some intrigue. And Robert's right, it's all about really how it builds by the time it gets to the chorus. Because it's not like we really have anything like drastically new as of the chorus. It's more of a heavier version. It seemed to me like a very similar chord progression. But within that chord progression, even as earlier on uh, with the verses, I frankly liked it when it was very thin because it highlighted certain moments. Like, for instance, uh, when the bass and the piano are in tandem, there's like this glorious, uh, like, sonic effect of the deeper tone that the bass takes. Um, like, by the time it gets down to E, especially, um, while the piano is still hammering out the D, this, like, flat seventh interval is formed, which I thought was especially gripping, and that's all while still in the intro. That continues through the verse as well. well that same structure maintains, but this time there's more instruments, the guitar is there, and by the time it's, it's the chorus, it's, it's just, you know... It's it's very filled out. Well, I'm assuming it's a four-string bass, too. You're bottoming out the bass. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it's one of those situations where I can picture, okay, yeah. this is a song I could see a band playing on stage. Also, the first time I've thought about that being something. Yeah, and you also you get that warm, like, you know, open, open string sound. And that's where I'm going to actually... I'm going to draw off what you just said, a band playing it on stage. Because I'm not feeling any specific identity to this song, specifically in the vocals... To some extent in the lyrical content, though this is definitely the best we've gotten so far um, as far as poetry is concerned. But it's just, it's so unemotional. Mm. It, there's not enough just vested interest in, in the actual vocal work that's going on here. I'm not feeling any individuality. I'll tweak what you said. I think it has an identity, I think it has an individuality, but I think, unfortunately for this track, it's someone else's individuality. This track almost front to back reminded me of The Killers. I think it is wholly within that environment. I think it, it even includes some of uh, their tricks, like the little synth buildup in the background. That's purely Killers. At times, his voice can go between sounding like The Killers' lead singer and maybe even Panic! at the Disco's lead singer. So there's something very, like, modern pop indie about this track. Uh, we only thought uh, Beatles because of the very, very early, you know, that's something definitely the Beatles used to do was like include piano ditties in their earlier work. But frankly, it's a lot more modern. It's very pop. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of sweet in a way. I just don't think it's 
a similar brand to anything that's been in this album, such that even the track that I really, really liked, I have to say, is that what I'm identifying as Gerard Way's sound at this point? It, it, seems, it I mean, seems external. It seems like he just threw it in here. I hate to say this is the filler track. It's my favorite. Well, that's why I think the problem here is even though he's more emotive on this track than he's been in the past tracks, the problem is you're right. He's conveying an emotion that's not himself. He's not singing like Gerard Way here. Not like the Gerard, Gerard Way we know. He's singing like somebody else. Um, I think that this is a track that's probably coming from a place where it's something he had to say and it's something he wanted to convey, but it didn't belong on this album. As much as it was my favorite track on the record, it can, compared to what we get after and before, it has no place where it is. And that's why I was making the argument that this is only our favorites because it is what it is and it's not in context with the rest of the album it, it because it's an oddball that's why we're kind of latching onto it here well i mean interestingly enough i have a feeling that if we were to if, if we were to put this in front of somebody who really liked the album as a whole this would almost definitely be the track they're like i don't know what he was doing here this is strange. yeah no i could i could definitely see a lot of people coming to this track with that angle which is which is really a shame but i don't know i think it, it comes down to the fact it's just a little bit of a there's a little bit of identity crisis throughout the album at this point. Yeah. And, you know, it's 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 just a shame because there's some moments here that I really, really loved. I need to get to one of my favorite moments altogether in this track. It's something I, I would probably call the pre-chorus because it only appears once. Um, it's definitely not... It doesn't have the departure that a bridge would really have. It, it's definitely the pre-chorus. It only appears once. And the lyrics go, Because the nights don't last and we leave alone. Will you drive me back? Can you take me home? And there's this sort of stifled um, uh, pacing to the lyrics in this that are that are separated additionally by the fact that you have both males and and the females. It sounds like there are female vocalists in the background, right? This is kind of a duet of sorts. And they step in here kind of doing this like this like fugue-like thing, this, this independent melodies, and one this, the, the males will overtake the females, and then it happens vice versa, and it's like this tete-a-tete for the, for, the, for the span of just four lines, and then all of a sudden we're back in the choruses. Now, I still enjoy the choruses, I like the, the, the vocal uh, material there as well, but in that case it's more, um, it's more a case of comping. I think in the first, in the first part of that phrase in the chorus, it's it's straight up doubling, and then after that, it's more comping. The vocal, the female vocalists are clearly in the backseat position. They step in there, but they kind of fill out and make the latter the latter stretch of that chorus a lot more interesting. It's also but the, it's the pre-chorus that I think is the ultimate climax here. Well, it's also, this is one of the few situations where uh, the <clears throat> vocals seem cohesively edited, which yes. is another thing that I found really interesting about about a lot of these tracks is that so so much of the vocal alignment is poor and it strikes me you know the, the more we talk about it the more it occurs to me that it could very well be an intentional choice this could be uh you know trying to create again this sort of sense of uh, uh something unsettled something a little bit discontented but like in this song again this song feels very consonant to me yes. in a way that the other songs are very discordant i think also you know going with that I, I thought it sounded, frankly, romantic. Not just the fact that you have, you know, a duet between males and females, but it's like th there's something very playful about the way they're singing in that moment that the overall feel of this, that consonant feel, came across to me as just straight-up romance. Perhaps there's something lurking in the distance, but it's, it's, it's least 
applicable in this track compared to the rest of the album. I agree. There was definitely a warmth to the track that we didn't hear anywhere else and that we don't hear in the next track. Um, <laughs> we go into Millions, which is track five, and this one is a departure from what we just heard and goes right back to what we were hearing before. This reminded me of something. This was so really? raw. You could discern uh, a specific thing? Absolutely could. Um, and I think it was better in the example I'm about to mention. But again, when I started off uh, talking about garage band-esque music, there's uh-huh. really only one band that we've reviewed that really went toward that style, and it was uh, Daryl back in episode yeah. 114 oh, right. I and their album, Ohio. Uh, that album... I came across to me as like a real revisit of a 90s garage sound, but through like a 2000s lens. Now, there's more of a justification there, I think, because, of course, that album was released in 2004. It was a little bit of a retro review on our part, and uh, they were younger at the time. But, you know, there are ways got some years behind him, and this is why I keep harking back to this, this like inclination to return to form. I just don't understand the... I don't understand the impulse, and all of a sudden he's just back to it, like like the na- last track never even occurred. Right. I it, mean, here this is just drums, steady, heavy snare on the downbeat, crash on the upbeat. That's very '90s punk. And then when you step in with the vocals, they're extremely angsty, and I thought uh, disconcerting. I, the drummer. This is probably my least favorite drums on the entire album, and that's something I don't think I've ever said before. <laughs> The drummer has to hit everything all the time. That is not drumming. That's banging on your sticks on little pieces of wood and plastic and metal all boiled up into the <laughs> I think that's, that's truer no. in the last stretch of this of well, this uh, no, track, not right in the here. beginning. In the right beginning, here. it's this regular, is... and the only reason you hear clutter is because of the crash cymbal, which is is overkill. Well, I have a little bit of reticence against, reticence against I mean, um. To, crash symbols. To be honest, I mean, like talking about uh, you know the the first hive tracks, excluding uh, brother that we just were talking about. Uh, it, I'm just thinking now about the fact that um, thinking about like electronic dance music as a point of comparison uh, has a similar characteristic in the sense that it it requires constancy in its beats and that it's not really providing much shape rhythmically to the track. It relies on other things texturally, hard mm-hmm. synthesizers, um, vocal effects. Uh, these are these are like drum machine tracks played by somebody who's you know a, a clearly a skilled rock drummer. The drummer has to fill that role, which is unfortunate for him and for the art in question. Which seems to me to be a flaw in the arranging styles in a lot of these. I mean, clearly we're talking somebody whose drums are well tuned. The recordings are great. I mean, I have a feeling. Don't know the guy personally, but that he could handle something a lot more interesting and more robust. Absolutely. Right. And such is the case probably for a lot of punk drummers, you know, but very, you know, very often they have to fit the niche that they're just, if they're stuck in a rut and that's what their band does, then it would be, it would be clutter for them to depart, ironically yeah. enough. But I feel that there are plenty of punk drummers or pop punk drummers who break that mold and get a drum solo or add a little something or have a little spice. Sure, there's, there's none no, of that There's here. no attempt here, I yeah, agree. No, it just, it's, it flatlines the whole track. I mean, it's back to the boring sound that we were getting in the earlier tracks. And the problem is, not only is this repetitive, but unmemorable, because I can't even recall what it sounded like. It Other was, than the rhythm. It was emo-ish. Okay. Ish. I mean, I remember the next track well, more than vo- this track. The, the whole thing is the vocals are whiny. Just straight but up whiny. You also made a comparison earlier, and I think I agreed with this more. And 
frankly, I wouldn't say that they were whiny. The Green Album by Weezer. I think that's more all this kind of sound. The Actually, sort of Rivers, like, I would definitely say, was whiny back in that album as well. <laughs> all right, yes, but I think, you know, just in talking about their discography, by the time you get to the Green Album after having had Blue and Pinkerton, it's like you've arrived at a more at a more pop-friendly sound. It was where a lot of Weezer fans considered Although, to be the beginning of the end for them or the, their downhill slope because they wanted the, the raw stuff. But with this song, it's so bizarre because I, as opposed to something that's trying to be more accessible, the chorus, which I think is the one moment that I highlight, there's one chorus to my recollection because I remember it coming around once and saying, this is a great moment, this is hooky, this is catchy. Uh, it caught in my mind. And then I just kept listening for it to come back around. So, I mean, maybe it's a bridge instead, structurally speaking, but it's, again, structure in these songs seems to be something that was an afterthought. Um, and then I'll also go back to your earlier comment on the bipolarism, because it's like, well, they're very pleasant and family-friendly in one instance, and then they step in there with those sort of awkward dissonant asides that's like, really? What? You know, why do you why are you doing this here? It's kind of like having a, a very pleasant conversation and then running out of the room screaming. So <laughs> it's... Uh, Seems I, a little extreme. Kind of, like I know an that abortion person. of the track. <laughs> um, from here we go to Zero Zero, which... Upon the initial listen, I didn't make this comparison, but after chatting with the gentleman around me, I realized this is a very poor emulation of Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins, to the point that the loud guitar, the shitty drum work, the sloppy construction, and the whiny vocals all connect together to almost perfectly emulate probably any song off the album Zero. Specifically, I liken this to the song Despite All My Rage. Without any of not the, the name of the song, but that's fine. I know, but I'm talking about specifically that, that chorus. Oh, the chorus. That chorus, despite all my rage. It's but it's without all the good parts, <laughs> which mean, is the build up, which is the the context of going high to low to high to low to actually show rage in the music itself. This is the Smashing Pumpkins with a mild stroke. I mean, there's not a whole lot going on here. I mean, the one thing that you can really chew on, uh, from my recollection, was uh, that guitar riff that comes in. I mean, starting from the top, mm-hmm. it's it's like kind of square wavy. It's really um, almost a synthesizer-like distortion sound. I would agree with that. And I think they use that to sound a little bit cleaner. For instance, I'm not going to keep harking back to the, the word raw here. I think this is a, a cleaner track. It, it leans more toward hard rock than it does garage. There's something a lot heavier about this. At the same time, though, I do agree some things were lost. The, the drum work, if you could believe it, is even more boring. Matt already mentioned that. It's just sort of straight eighth notes throughout here with a little more emphasis on the, the second beat and the fourth beats. So again, you have that, that upbeat feel, which... It's not like there's any rousingness around that. A lot of times that would be used in punk, but instead this is more in a hard rock feel, and I just once again feel like I'm being, I'm, I'm caught in some kind of twilight zone between genres, and and in 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 doing so, they've lost the impactful extremes of those individual genres. Well, the problem is also is that the guitar work that was actually catchy and interesting that Robert mentioned. Pretty much halfway through the track, the drums get so loud and repetitive that you can't even hear the guitar work anymore. It just drowns it out. And then there's nothing... What, am I going to listen to his lyrics? The well, lyrics weren't worth it either. It's all rising. You don't need all what? rising. I don't like all rising. Dude. We're not all Barney Stinson. <laughs> I mean, on, on on a playlist or an album or something like that, yeah, it's great to progress song-wise. But in, a, in the specific song, 
you you can't just do going louder and louder and louder and louder. That's just not that's naive to think that'll work. For this, this is like a fun song in in some ways, and that is uh, like the opposite of a compliment. Or it's not an like, insult, but it's the opposite of a compliment. Ninety well, percent of the song is <laughs> well, riding the incline of a roller coaster and never getting to coast it down to the bottom. It, no, I'm pretty sure it plateaus at a certain point. <laughs> There's just not enough. Well, the rise itself feels like a plateau because it's just somebody. No, All right. it's because it's only going up, and it's going up in such an incremental way, as opposed to really reaching heights. And then you get used to it. All right, actually, that's and not a just, bad metaphor. It flatlines. Get used to going up. Yeah. Um, it's also, an escalator, not a roller coaster. Let's be I, honest. All right, all right, no, that's good. I have one more comment here. The verses, I think, being in minor. This song was initially headed in a much darker route, but I think that the wall of sound kind of just destroyed its potential. Like, the choruses, you know, having once again gone to this whole, like, relative minor deal, they were much more like an anthemic pop track, such that I think there was a split here combined with the fact that it's rather short, and a lot of these tracks on this album are pretty short. This one was only 2 minutes and 49 seconds, but, you know, it kind of ends up lopping that idea in half as well. So you don't have the the fairly uh, brooding, angsty track, but you also don't have the um, the uplifting side of the of the chorus, which in fact is really just "Call me zero, zero, and and I don't know what the hell that's supposed to mean. Because I think he's when making you... a Borderlands joke. Is that yeah. it? <laughs> that's only funny Actually, to three border, of us. Borderlands two, not oh. Borderlands one. Remember, he was in two and in the new uh, uh, episodic uh, game that's out, Tales from the Borderlands. Pretty good. I haven't played that yet. Well, that's because Telltale Games makes nothing that's not amazing. Yeah, that's yeah, also true. That. But back on track to zero zero here. Yeah, this song is there's. I can't think of anything redeemable about it other than the few minor interesting things that Robert already mentioned that get drowned out anyway. Well, let me read this. I got an offhand way of getting information. I got to walk away. Jet lag is suffocation. Enter chorus. Call me zero, 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 zero. Another cloudy day, another observation. They keep my DNA down by the record station. Enter chorus. You'll be coming around and you'll be off your station. Oh, 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 and you'll be hanging around until you go in makeup. Man, give me social disease and give me teenage razors. Man, give me social disease and give me high-end phasers. And that's what I love I... about the song, The, com- the those last two lines. Really, though? Teenage razors, high-end phasers. Com- completely opposite contextual ideas. I mean, you're talking about the nerdiest of the nerd when it comes to the high school stuff. I've never... Or you're talking about something that's truly morbid. But neither of those right, two right, ideas right, even comes gonna, across. Look, it's very common. Let's, let's, just, let's just be granted here. It's very common for a lot of musicians to step in with, like, random gibberish. And let's be fair, the Beatles did that through a pretty good portion this of their career. This is random gibberish. It explains the song. <laughs> it doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't know if it wants to be dark or lighthearted. It doesn't know if it wants to be one genre or the next. It doesn't know if it wants to emulate one guy or the next. It doesn't know Dude, what well, it no, wants to do. My only point with that is that you can't get away with gibberish if the rest of your music doesn't support that of any Well, no, any the rest way. of the music is gibberish, well, so also, it's actually supporting it. Vo- in no, terms it's of vocal static production, and dull. Vocal production is let's hide the lyrics as far back in the mix as we can by making them inaudible. Therefore, the words might as well be anything. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, I could kind of fa- phaser, laser, Crazer, and then I think I'm just watching American Gladiator. I bet they're blurred out on the book jacket, too. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Sticking it to the man. The man is people who listen to his music, apparently. As he said he was doing in the first track. So now we go into a track that uh, Robert was alluding to earlier. Um, Juarez, 
Uh, is the best I'll probably pronounce it because, you know, whatever. Oh, come um, on. It's not hard. <laughs> Juarez. Juarez. Welcome to Juarez Park. That's what I was referring go. to, though. Anyway, oh, um, so Juarez is a WTF moment. So we definitely get something so loud and a porous that it feels like a wall of noise rock. But it's not noise rock. It's not that good. Well, that's... Well, it, one of the things about it is that it doesn't seem crafted. Like, I, I listen to a bunch of interesting noise rock bands. I mean, I'm a prog musician. It happens. Uh, but what's interesting about noise rock, when noise rock is good, is that it's well-crafted. It seems purposeful. It seems like it's chosen cacophony. And I think we find in this track another example of uh, a track that is noisy in a way that's incoherent. I'm just this so tired is, of not understanding his lyrics, too. Now, this is another case where I go back to uh, Robert's earlier point about the bipolarism of this. I mean, I there's these... The chords descend in major at first, and then they're interrupted by, I hesitate to say, like, edgy guitar wailing. But there's, like, these fits of madness here. And I, the only reason I hesitate, because it's so flippantly contrasted by those family-friendly verses. And that's the... <laughs> That's the bipolarism here that I just can't grapple with. I mean, this kind of, this kind of like to and fro is very juvenile. I don't really, I don't really. It doesn't come across to me as 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 being um, as being spurts of madness. This isn't one flew of the cuckoo's nest. There's just not enough here to really let me see the the, the character going through, um, going through fits of 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 rage or madness or of any kind. I don't see the extremes because the character is undefined. So then when you do that very simplistically and 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 boringly in the uh the disparity between the verses and choruses themselves, you don't really the end result is not achieved. Well, that's because it's it's plateaus. It's a series of plateaus all set at different heights. Sectionally, this song has the biggest divorces in just overall feel out of anything else that's on this album as a whole. It's walls of sound surrounded by just useless, desolated nothingness as far as the music is concerned. This combination, because there's no flow between the A's and the B's, or the A, A prime, A secondary, A tertiary, whatever it is, because the rhythm don't change, the, the actual melody doesn't really change... It's just the flowing melody. through. It just delete these drums, which honestly, first time happened, liked it. Drums were gone for a minute. <laughs> I could breathe. Then they brought them back. Besides the point. But they deleted and added in, and then deleted and added in, and then changed up the formula by not deleting everything, only deleting some. It's ridiculous what's going on here. Let's rewind here, because you did bring up the melody, and that was an interesting point, because the melody, frankly, is very different in this track than it has been in previous tracks. It's it's actually kind of clean, but, and I I hate to say this, because, again, whenever somebody does something different texturally in this album, I I, want to perk up. I really do. They have my ear. But then I had to look at the real content of the melody itself. The actual, the actual phrase, the musical phrase, was very poorly written. I mean, some melodies in this album have been fairly unnoticeable, which is either to say, you know, something else stole my focus, or that it was just very average. But this time, I had real beef. Here's the first verse. I can't swim, don't rub it in. I'm gonna run a little faster. I can't swim, so plug it in. Me and my heavy metal master, and he sings this again like a like a child's ditty. I'm not I'm not dissuading that, but yet again, that has no place on this album. Well, it's also then, it belies what he does as a singer, and I right. don't want to I don't want to take a really talented rock vocalist and in, in, in any way kind of 
negate their style and what they do well. But this is the second time that we've got a track where at least the lyricism, if not the track itself, demands a kind of a more commanding hard rock style performance. Like, those are words that if they were exactly. delivered by, like, you know, uh, there's so many options that he can't pull off because vocally, his style, and I, I don't want to say it's quirky, but he has a quirky, interesting, nuanced voice that is not commanding, is not heavy metal, is not aggressive in the way that you would have to be to make those lyrics something you could really sell. I would hesitate to call that a verse as well. The fact that it is almost word for word repeated in uh, later on and in the same inflection. Mm. It's alternating choruses. We're not getting verses in this song at all, unless you count short little snippet lines that are serve as more bridges than actual verses. It's alternating choruses. If I can say your song is nothing but chorus work, you're either going for something that's truly anthemic and should be awesome. The only thing which is... Which isn't. Or you're just getting lazy lyrically, and that's something I can't forgive. Mm. I've been real silent on this, but the repetition of the words and the fact that the inflection rarely deviates, the fact that the meaning of the words is muddy at best, I'm, I cannot forgive. I just want to slingshot back to Robert's point, because after all, it could be argued, you know, that by him sort of stepping into the choruses and then getting really, really heavy at that moment when he says, down and around when the cops come down on you, jump around to the cop show sound, sing death to the crowd, man. Then all of a sudden it does, there, there's at least a little bit of uh, artistic justification there. It matches. The concept is present. But it's like... You could argue that maybe the verses were just building up to that, and you're waiting, and that's the moment. But I think there's something, there's something awkward about this. There's something awkward about the transition that I just don't buy. Yeah, but I think that's for the whole song. I mean, the song itself carries in a very awkward way and doesn't really culminate well. It doesn't really progress well. It doesn't really do anything well. There's one last thing about this track, and that that's at the end. Um, the chorus is, I think, toward the toward the final stretch ends with this, like, nonsensical murmuring. I would almost think that at this point it truly was an identity crisis because you get all these these disparate vocals stepping in from the right, from the left, and and that was what I found to be the main reason why it is, uh, why it is gibberish, why you do kind of get a, a cacophony sound. Um, more because of the vocals, not because of, like, the status quo of all the instruments. That's the thing that, that puts people off in the end. I think that's fair. I mean... I don't know. I think I'm ready to go on to track eight if everyone else is. Yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> so track eight, Drugstore Perfume. Best well, this is song name on the album. All I right. did enjoy it. I mean, it gave an imagery that we, I mean, we haven't really gotten any imagery on the whole record except for maybe in Brother a bit. I don't know. Juarez definitely brings to mind some very scary things. Shut Action up, John. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a 70s cartoon show. Anyway, um, so Drugstore Perfume, I mean, and now we're in a different genre again, and he's been doing genre jumping, and here's my thing about genre jumping. Subtle genre jumping. Subtle genre jumping. I like it when it serves a purpose. If you're just doing it because you're indecisive, it, it doesn't add to anything. And the fact that he doesn't really back up any of his musical decisions on this record, or it doesn't seem like he's backing them up, it just kind of tends to fall flat. I mean, 
after the intro of the track, it feels like the tambourine and the guitar are not playing in the same track. They're at different paces. They're they're working off different rhythms. It just they felt not compatible. It's true. We all sort of started this track feeling like it was very much grounded in the '60s. It had this kind of like almost borderline psychedelia feel, but like on the more innocent front. Uh, me and John both got Dylan very much in the beginning here, especially the verse work. Uh, the it uh, it lacks Dylan's flair. No, but not it's, even it's the verse. His... No, actually, I'm just talking about the intro, in fact, because the verse was a lot more modern. The intro itself had this kind of, like, warbling, tinny effect on the guitar that almost made it sound, like, like vaguely sitarish. And then when you uh, link that with a tambourine, then all of a sudden you feel like you're on the stage of a variety show. But in the verses, and this is where it really hit home for me, uh, it was the pacing of his words that was just so identifiably Dylan. It was... It didn't have Dylan's lilt, because, well, you can't really do Dylan unless you're him. It's, frankly, a hard thing to do. Here, it's just more of Dylan lost his accent if he really just went deadpan. Uh, But the pacing is there. The pacing is so indicative, I just couldn't get it out of my mind. When I say Dylan, I don't mean, like, the vocal sound of Dylan. I mean, like, if you just simply took out the vocal track and then put in Dylan, then it would work over the music that was in place. I don't know, I'm still getting Duran Duran out of this. I mean, no, I agree that too. I get yeah. that too. And that was another weird effect, is that, oh, some people were shouting, oh, 60s, oh, 80s. And it's like, there is this kind of I guess this this kind of link between the two decades, only because there was a lot of, like, 60s throwback stuff going on in the 80s. Um, but at the same time, I also started getting this very, like, country feel later on. Like, you know, a more rural-type sound, something that might appear on, like, uh, on, like, Light FM, you know, in any town America. Well, I think also part of the problem is this song kind of feels aimless. And also, it's the first time, like, a lot of the tracks, even though they felt repetitive, they never really felt long, they kind of didn't stick around for a very long time, but this one did. Like halfway through the track, we've already gone through so many repetitions of this sound after that initial evolution from like the 60s to the 80-ish sound. Yeah. It was just, I don't know where he was trying to go, but it felt like he wasn't going anywhere. He was running in place, and it just, I thought it would never end. Wasn't this also the track where, when we were listening back earlier, we just kind of jumped to random positions, and every time we picked a different random location, the song sounded basically the same? Very often. There's really only one part. In the chorus, I do think it sounds a little bit different, but not much. I mean, it starts going to this chord progression just between the three, uh, minor three, major four, and then... it's the reason. I think one of the reasons we had that experience is because the chorus is extremely short. It exits very, very fast. Such that if you're, you know, going through the uh, through the search bar, you're probably not going to land on it because it exits and it does this almost overly dramatic turnaround that I, I found to be kind of too soon. And that uses utilizes this um, uh, B flat diminished chord. Right at that moment, it brings it back to the very sleepy chord progression that defines the rest of this track. It's 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 a shame because in some stretch this really would have fit in had it been any other band, had it been any other album, uh, pursuing that type of thing. But here we just have a montage of, of disparate ideas. You gotta have this was a his, montage. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. was his spur of the moment idea. And Rig store perfume doesn't really work. Um, I wanted to steal the title though. Yes, yes I, I think we're all in agreement. Great title. Okay. Great title? Oh, yeah. Uh, Great that's title. okay. <laughs> okay. No, 75% doing... agreement. Dissenter. No, no. If we're going to be talking Dylan, he had better title. Shun the non-believer. Um, <laughs> we shunned. Track nine, Get the Gang Together. Oh, we're, we're... Sounds like a romp. It does sound like a romp. The song, however, does not. It's so... a punk. No, it's punkish. It's late punkish, so that actually is rompy-ish. 
Yeah, but we're adding the, issues here. Between the bland, ish. between the bland music and the dead fish vocals, we've got nothing. Here. Oh, it's dead fish. After and well, and the word the weirdest part for me is absolutely the fact that half of the track, there's just random sounding guitar dicking about like they're playing the song and in the back of the studio somebody forgot that you know the crate was plugged in and that there was a microphone in front of it and it just made it on the track for no good reason well the guitarist was from another band he was practicing something else and all of a sudden he was like hey these guys are kind of doing something that i can sort of emulate so let me just mess with them and, and then he got bored <laughs> and then he started just really just and he's an, around he's an additional guitarist to step in there and he's just in the background doing his own thing because there's a rule about instrumentalists pianists they always play too fast guitarists always play <laughs> <laughs> this is actually very true as a guitarist <laughs> yeah i thought you'd like that um yeah i don't uh, the shaking fist <laughs> i feel like this song just doesn't again we're, we're at a point where we're like there are not really any redeeming qualities i don't even remember anything standing out about it other than it was punk-esque and that doesn't really do enough for me post punk post punk robert pointed that out let's not, not argue ish let's not argue ish. semantics over what it did or didn't all right almost then let's, let's like. le- at least say this this was closer to the quote-unquote soul of this album had it had one okay and i'm content mm. to move on from that point yeah. because i don't really know what the hell else to say about this song we should the yeah, album no. had a sound this is it no <laughs> let's talk about something that yeah. was really bad the lyrics Ooh. i really dislike the lyrics Let's get it together right now. Let's get it together somehow. Can we get it together right now? Can we get it together somehow? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened in Rio? You hear what happened to Sly? Anyway, they still call him Michelle now, and he had a new baby. A little girl, Gemini. No, no, no. That's whatever happened to Rico. You hear what happened to Sly? They're both two names, not Rio. <laughs> okay, so, so actually, I'm, I'm just going to throw out a reference, because uh, something's coming together for me in a cohesive way. Think about Gerard Way's larger creative career. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Umbrella Academy. Uh, it's a graphic oh, yeah. novel he wrote. Um, it does this really interesting thing where almost everything that happens is a weird non sequitur. But in comic book writing, it comes across as really clever. Hmm. Like you have this old style English butler and it's like, oh my god, that monkey has a gun. That's a really funny visual gag that doesn't necessarily make sense in context because it doesn't have to be coherent to craft a moment. And if you, but but I know somebody who has done that or this song, this sort of idea of just naming people, talking what they're up to. Yeah, but this amazingly, not... amazingly, but it was used in such a different context. Was it Dylan? I bet it was Dylan. No, was Avalanche, Dylan? Butthole Surfers. No, but the problem here you is know that, that song. I do. this is not a non sequitur in this case. The track is called Get the Gang Together, and it's exactly what it is. All he is doing is just naming the people from the gang, and yes, that's it. Yes, but other <laughs> bands have done this, and Avalanche by Butthole Surfers at least felt... Just in, more enjoyable as a concept, not necessarily the music itself, no, but I, conceptually, there was a little bit of tongue in cheek involved with it. Here is just no blatantly mistake. trying I am to not, make jokes. I'm not defending it for that reason. I'm merely saying that, well, Robert just pointed out that he's good at non sequiturs. He didn't even do a non sequitur here. So there's no comparison because what Robert's talking about is awesome, no, and this is just frankly, not the lyrics, that. The lyrics come off as just gossip, the sort of gossip you quickly exchange at a 20 year high school reunion. Yeah. Just oh, did yes. you hear? Did you hear about what's his face? Yeah, they got another kid right now. They broke up. He's fat now. He's bald. It's an He's... exploration in minutia, which no matter how you put it, no matter how you phrase it, is minutia. It's, it's not boring. worthy, really, of 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 material on an album. I oh, know it's a poor high school remake of Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Move quick. 
Go on to the now next one. I got one. stuck in oh, the yeah, middle. This is my, my favorite part because this is when uh, Gerard Way decides to cover Third Eye Blind. Oh yeah. So the track oh. is how it's gonna be. How is it going to be? It's uh, actually not a cover. It's a terror. Well, actually, it's a good <laughs> song that's too little, too late. This it song. Is. So we get a song that, like I'd mentioned earlier with Brother, it's another very warm song that, from the moment it starts, has some semblance of character and emotion. However, we're on track ten of an eleven-track album. I don't care anymore. Okay, well, let's well, discuss it before we discuss how it, it's too late, too little, too late. Fair. One of the best aspects is that at this point, the drummer, who was forced to play so many notes, has now damaged half of his drum set. It's been pared down. All the high end is pretty much gone. It's very, very much the lower end of the percussion, and it's great. And it was good. It's nice to actually see him step back and play a rhythm instead of playing... Noise. No. Noise. This works. Well, this is getting it back into this whole idea of cohesive production, too. And this is one of the two pieces on this album that clearly have a cohesive, audible production. You know, it abandons, let's be fair, it abandons the formula that most of the album has followed to this point. Uh, it gets rid of the, the spaced-out, difficult-to-hear, underwater, swimming pool-style vocal stuff. It kills the ticks. The, the weird um, slapback delay stuff, it's gone. All of a sudden what you have is a moment where there's actually a song being sung and performed. It's the second track where I can picture a band actually getting up on stage and playing it together. It's, it's definitely more unified. And ironically enough, it's unified because of a fairly steady uh, uh, drum pattern. The drums, I think, it come across to me as a lot more rounded. Um, they're not that post-punk sound. It's not that, you know, alternating between crash cymbals. They, they have, uh, as Matt put it, they have this kind of steady motion to it. It's, it's, like, it's like a bed from which the rest of it can just, can just lay on very comfortably, in fact, instead of, like, you know, thorns in your side, as how I'd put probably many of these other tracks. They're, they're, they're grating, and each and every time you have to focus on the drums, and you have to be like, oh, come on, just, just turn it down a little bit. In this track, it, it's, it's becoming... That's fair. I mean, I think that the the, pro, the the truth is I actually do like this song. Not as much as Brother, but I do enjoy it. But again, it's this fact that what Steve's saying is correct. That you're going through slogging through so much stuff that's either painful for one reason or another. But by the time we get to this, it's like, okay, here's a thing. It's got a good setting. You can envision it. You can picture it. But why? Who cares? Like, where is this fit? What's the point? Where is the through line? Eh. I would say this is a better song than Brother because we get one of, as we said earlier, My Chemical Romance's best aspect. We get a story and a well, a, a good metaphorical story going on here. In moments you cannot reprise, like a soldier or a watch you can't wind. We fought the world with hands twice tied. The people cheered, the captain cried. I'll keep the souvenir inside. It's just better in my mind. That is better than the entire lyrical content of the rest of the album. It's definitely that's true. That's more like lyrical. a poetic di- diary entry, frankly. Um, and, and you know, I'm I'm all on board with that. That's that's something. It at least allows you to get into the writer's head. Uh, very little of this has really been able to do that so far. So yeah, I'm on board with that. I'm also on board with the fact that um, it gave you more to focus on. There was lots of moments in this track uh, where we identified this sort of little uh, this little trumpet interlude, and that steps in. It very colorful, very um, very playful, and suddenly strings. I haven't I haven't heard May say these words earlier on <laughs> the album. It's we like get strings. yeah, we beautiful have strings. strings. Of Granted, it would have been nice if these strings were a little bit more, and the trumpets themselves as well, a little more 
I guess, warranted. I mean, I'm still kind of looking at it as kind of, oh, let's put in strings. Well, I mean, like this is just... something we complain about on so many other songs. Frankly, here it works a lot better, but it's still just kind of, uh, let's just throw him in there. It's like he discovered that he's not limited to his his plain uh, band selection of instruments. He's not limited to the to the foursome or whatever it is. He can foursome? expand. Well, let's not. Let's not I wouldn't even that. go that far. I don't know. Enough. Lead guitar, lead guitar, bass. Well, excuse me. Lead guitar, lead guitar, lead bass, and lead drums. Everyone is a lead instrument here. Though actually, like it's probably that. just lead drums. I like that. <laughs> okay. Track eleven. Maya the psychic. Um. Uh, let's see. Um. This uh, is the best title on the Who album. wants to talk about this track? I think it's, this is more it was, of a... Um, it was the same. Um, it was the same. No, no, no. It was the same. No, no, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. I'm pointing this one out. This is what you do if you want to do a garage band sound but are an established musician because this is clear-cut, nice, very well-mixed garage band sound. This should have been the first track and it should have evolved from this track into something really good where we actually get something like how is it going to be that this song is the starting point this is step one this is just what would have happened on any other album if we had actually started with a band that made those first two three tracks yeah i could have seen this as an anchor point for a more cohesive record uh i think especially comparing it going all the way back to the beginning in the bureau and the sort of weird cacophony it starts with this does have and to, to go harken back to the whole idea of a return to form, although I, the more I think about it, the weirder it is because... This know, isn't a return to form for anything he's done before. No, because I think about even early My Chemical Romance when they were a garage band, their first album, uh, while it's certainly lo-fi, is definitely not cacophonous and noisy in the way that this has been. I think this track is on the same record as Millions, Juarez, and Action Cat. <laughs> I would turn off that record, yeah. but that's the record. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with Steve. Okay. So what this really is, it's like two EPs and then a couple of filler tracks. Yes, so, and the that filler is exactly tracks what are the is. best part. Yeah, but these aren't even cohe- these aren't even like continuous EPs. I mean, the the just and I guess I'll start my wrap up. <laughs> The two EPs that we're getting right here are from two very different bands. We're getting a indie band, we're getting a post-punk metal, wants to do just hardcore kind of stuff, but really doesn't know how to do it right because he started off as an indie band and was more lighthearted and everything like that. There is just schizophrenia going on here as far as genres are concerned. That's not bad. That's not bad if you have a theme going through. The lyrics are not providing that theme because the lyrics themselves are just, for the most part, meh. Meh at best. The two good songs, only one of them would I point out the lyrics themselves. The vocals are underproduced, underutilized, because I know this guy is a lot better. Frankly, to sum it all up, I like this album better when I did not know who made the album. When I did not know there was a connection to a band that did such beautiful songs. That did Welcome to the Black Parade. That did those albums I grew up with, because those were, while still mainstream they still had edgy tones to it. Here, all the edges are filed off. It's just digestible, but not digestible in the same sort of way that you get like, just standard pop digestible. This is straight up spicy. Here, here's a lump of noise. Enjoy this noise. Eat this noise. It's a 
bunch of different flavors that don't work well together. They're habanero flavored cornflakes. That's what it is. That's probably being too kind. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're pouring coffee into the bowl on top of these cornflakes. There's just so much stuff going on. I'd buy that box once. You know, it's like those Doritos that they offer of a different flavor every yeah. time. It's like kind of a promotional thing. They also did it with Lay's, you know, when it's got a weird flavor. It's like everyone's got to buy the bag once. Yeah. You got it. You got this, it. This is, this is the no-joke Mountain Dew flavored Doritos. <laughs> uh, yes, that bad idea of bringing a bunch of things together that might work but really you're just trying to sell a product and that's what I feel what this is at its core exactly. it's selling a product I've had this bag before yes so um, I'm going to give it its product rating it's a solid two wow Marilyn Manson beat the pants off of this oh, yeah, going well, back to last week this at least Marilyn Manson made music that was solidly music and well produced he was just relying on too many old tricks I got a point this, off he's that. not even I using his own tricks uh, you go first. So Matt. my point is, I can enjoy that album. <laughs> I rated it poorly, but I still kind of enjoyed it for nostalgia's sake. I mean, upon analysis, I enjoyed it less, which I expected, but I at least enjoyed that album. This, however, I did not. May I go into my wrap up, Steve? Absolutely. Yeah, you're okay. next. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I hated this. I hated it from start <laughs> to finish. Wow. I, don't I, I hated the whole record. I did like a few tracks. But I hated all of it. And the reason I hated all of it is because I am a diehard My Chemical Romance fan. Oh, I gotta invoke. But, but that's only a minor reason why I hated it. The real reason I hated it is due to all the Crash Chords training we've been through. There is no theme. There is n no arc. Maybe there's an arc. No, no, no. no. no there arc. is an arc. There is a story being told here. To be fair, I, I, the story. I, I, it's I, juvenile. I really wanted to go into lyrics more this time around. I feel like you guys really weren't having it. But it's... it's, it's there are times where it's just not really worth it. No. The, the music has to provide some intrigue with us to do that. The reality is there's a pain here because I am a My Chemical Romance fan, but of course I'm not letting that derail or encourage my entire rating. My entire rating comes from the comment, content we're looking at here before, before us. At least five of the songs sound almost identical if you're not paying attention. If you are paying attention, you can pick up minor details. There are two songs that I really, really like. There's one song that I wish they did a little more with but the rest is crap that I would throw in a garbage pail. Um, I just, I, there's no redeeming factors to it. And it hurts me to say this because I know he has talent. And yes, we don't want to base it on a, a past discography because he's not in My Chemical Romance anymore. But as we've said in the past, if you know an artist is capable of something and they don't achieve anywhere near it, it's hard to not be discouraged, even a little, if you know of someone's talent. And the reality is Robert is right. He's a storyteller. And even though maybe if we did focus on the lyrics a little more, we would have gotten a better sense of story, I'm still convinced it wouldn't have been changed my rating that much one way or the other. Because like Steve says a lot, music's got to carry the story too. And if the music isn't really carrying it at all, what it, you know, I mean, you shouldn't have to read the lyrics to get the whole story. Some of it maybe, but not the whole thing. Um, I just, I don't really see anything redeeming about it, but I'm also not going to tank it completely because there is some talent here still. His... The fact that he's Gerard Way, he does shine through a little bit in moments. And it's those moments that save it from being a complete and total one because there's redeemable qualities and there's hope that he'll focus himself on the next record that he makes. Um, but I am I think I'm with John. I think I'm a little below John. I think it's a 1.75. I think that for it to be a 2, like I need to have gotten something out of it. There's no emotional connection to this record at all. I got a feeling of warmth from two tracks. But it was an undefinable warmth. You would get the same feeling of warmth if somebody peed in the pool. <laughs> oh, a point well made. 
But my, but truthfully, I just I didn't really get anything from it, and it's a shame because I wanted to get something from it, and I really looked, I listened to it a bunch of times, and I just couldn't find an emotional connection anywhere, and that really like I was just lost through this whole record, even on this most recent listen. It's why I probably got so distracted and so kind of underwhelmed by it on the most recent listen we had. So it's a two, it's a one point seven five. It's probably overly harsh, but it's how it makes me feel, and it doesn't. Oh yeah. Well, I always said this thing about albums, that when I, when I step into an album, I think when most open-minded people step into albums, there's really the chance there for, for you to gauge something. The artist has the upper hand. They can grab you by the balls because you're hearing the album. They can confront you with the sound and really like bombard you with just about anything. And frankly, you'll, it's since it's probably the first thing you're listening to, perhaps in a few hours, maybe the first thing of the day, then you're going to just be a little bit more accepting of it. After a certain amount of time, then you start really getting critical because that's when the brain really, really wants to, to question the amount of time that you're spending on it. That's a, real, that's a real painful thing when it comes to music as an art form because when you take art, yeah, lots of people can be very critical in art and they can look at, you know, a splotch in a wall and say, well, what is that? That's, that's, that's nothing. That means nothing to me. But in the end, you didn't lose a lot of time on it. You, you walk to the next portion of the gallery and maybe you'll have uh, the opposite effect. With music, though, it taxes you. It, it demands that you sit with it, and that's a lot to ask, especially in a very, very busy community. Um, this first track had me extremely skeptical, because it offered me hardly anything. It didn't bombard me. Yes, I was making uh, devil's advocate defenses and saying that, you know, it's, it's endemic in its way, but I don't want to just be roused for something up front, especially when I don't know who you are, and at that time I didn't know who he was. So that's a little... Uh, well, Cats 22. I think that as this album progressed, I, I simply got more critical because I'm spending more time on the same thing. And I, I'm a detail-oriented guy. I really want to find the good in these things. I sit with this stuff by the piano. I break it down. I look at the moments that really do intrigue me. And at the end, this offered me so little... And the stuff that was there, I found very disconnected to the whole. I won't repeat it, but Matt pretty much covered where this, uh, the emotional center of this album is from, from my several listens. I, for only for the tracks that I enjoy, I'm going to give this a, a courtesy 2.1. There really is talent here. There's something, there's something to be had. It's just no effort was put into the overall arc of this album, and no effort was made to give the listener an enjoyable length of time, an enjoyable 40-minute span. It was simply, if you like us now, sure. But if, if we don't really care if you're not enjoying the, um, the greater stretch. Uh, in case there's any question, it's on a scale of 1 to 5, or 0 hmm. to 5. <laughs> so, what's your wrap-up, Robert? Oh, gods. Uh, well, the important thing to think of is I brought the record... To crash chords because of my excitement about getting to experience something new and in that regard uh i was not disappointed it was definitely something new um the problem is a lot like you matt i come from this as a as a fan of my chemical romance as a person who's been influenced by that band uh and i think by the storytelling of gerard way in general i had excitement about it and expectations about it and i think in all situations, uh, it really failed to deliver. 
Uh, I found the words unengaging. I found the production problematic. Uh, the mastering job, which is another abstract concept, didn't do anything to help add clarity. Uh, it was difficult to settle on some kind of an idea regarding what the album was trying to accomplish from start to finish. There was far too much repetition, especially for somebody like me who really loves motion, movement, nuance. Uh, and when you have to work so hard to pull enjoyment out of something somebody has produced for public consumption, it's hard. I mean, it's... The reality is that not every piece of music has to be a piece of candy. You know, there's room for subtlety, there's room for nuance, and there's room for analysis. But the, the deeper we get into talking about this record, the more I end up feeling like there's not that much to find. It's like shoveling out uh, a hole to realize that it's really just a hole. There's more dirt at the bottom. Uh, <laughs> I gotta say... Uh, I'm going to go against my normal numerological obsessions, and I'm going to give this a two, <laughs> as discomforting as that is to me. I'll only put a cap on this by saying it's astounding how much of a disparity there was between this and that uh, Daryl's Ohio album we reviewed, because it's the closest thing that I've heard in sound, and very much we were going through that album and, and realizing kind of the same things, like, okay, it's a little bit thin at times, and it can be juvenile at times, but, you know... It's astounding at how much, much this album was able to avoid being both emotional on, on one end and then having sort of this light-hearted, fun air on the other end because it's very easy to fall into one or the other. You yeah. know, either, either you're going to just have fun and be in a band and frankly, you know what, more power to you if that's, if that's your goal. And there were a lot of parts about Daryl that were really, really fun. There were also a lot of parts that were very, very just, you know, inward and emotional. You're going to go toward that spectrum, more power to you as well. But this just found some kind of middle ground that I, I think is almost a feat to find. It, it just well, that, wasn't one or the other. That, and I've never heard distortion used as an instrument before. <laughs> All right. Okay, I think, like us, our audience needs a palate cleanser. So we're going to cut away and let Robert play another song for you. Ancient torture brings in light, white and displayed. Oh no, but tell me this why beat your chest until it bleeds? And is there anyone left now? Who could possibly say what they mean? No, oh, no. So what say you? We'll die if we're waiting for what we're waiting for. So 
Do yourself a comfort or truth Tell me why I can't see Hearts break once Then fade away What a terrible place to which we've come Here with an empty reserve for the lucky ones What's left is disjointed, collapsed, uncontrollable But walking away from me What a terrible time we've found in here West of the rose and the snow, the villain fears We'll be the dreamers, the death of them Sad to be walking away from you Oh, Silent all is torture, but it's all I've got in you there. Only what they've left behind is called to be. And so that they hear share. What's left is disjointed, collapsed, uncontrollable But walking away from me What a terrible time we've found in here West of the rose and the snow of villain fears We'll be the dreamers, the death of them Sad to be walking from you oh, oh, oh. I'll come back to you I'll come back to you Keep hope aloft And I'll come back for you Keep hope aloft 
And I'll come back for you, back for you Keep hoping, keep hoping, keep hoping Lord. What a terrible place to which we've come Here with an ending reserved for the lucky ones What's left is disjointed, collapsed, uncontrollable But walking away from me Dreamers, death of them, sad to be walking away from you. Oh, la da da. Oh, 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 And that was Fear of the Flood. Um, shout out to Sarah, my soon-to-be wife. It's her favorite song off your record um, from the Rose West. She's told me many a time. Uh, I have a new favorite, but that comes up at the end of the show. <laughs> um, but so that was Fear of the Flood, which was is a, is a slower, very emotional song from that Rose West, Rose West record. I can't say words sometimes. You've done that before, too. I have. In reference. Yeah, but it's um, almost a tongue twister. It, it is. is, actually. Um, you know, especially because I thought it was such a nice idea that the band name could only be four-letter words or fewer. So I'm like, oh yeah, the Rose West. But it's actually really hard to get out. So, um, we all know, because you mentioned at the top of the show, and when I went back and listened to the Wasties episode, that you're in too many bands. Yes, that is 100% accurate. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask, since people who've heard you and heard you on our show know that you're in Eli August and the Abandoned Buildings, uh, Painless pa- you play with Painless Parker, you're with the Wasties and the Rose West, which are all very different sounds. Where would you say your your sound, your actual sound comes from? Is it more the Rose West? Is that more where your sound is? Or are you all over the map just like your bands? The Rose West is my baby. Uh, so I don't know if you know much of the history about that band, but uh, myself and Aaron Starkweather, who's the lead guitarist for the Rose West, uh, we've been collaborating together musically since 2005. Uh, and the whole thing when we got together as a band, actually there's a long story about how in college I had an obsession with peak oil and post-apocalyptic scenarios and that evolved into like the ideological backing of it but from a musical perspective uh, I remember uh, hanging out with my friend Aaron and playing Coheed and Cambria covers and talking about J-Rock and that sort of evolved into what we ended up playing the idea was we wanted to write music that we would want to listen to um, so it's taken in all these different pieces from different bands that we're inspired by. Uh, it takes in all the weird intellectual blah that happens in my head and puts it out into a single, I think, cohesive creative product. Well, I remember the first compliment I ever gave you, which was an insult to one of your favorite bands, was, you, oh, the Rose West, they sound like Coheed and Cambria, but better. <laughs> which is absolutely true, because I, I like Coheed, but I like the Rose West a lot better. I heard you singing earlier and I almost immediately recognized more so than your studio work but from your solo renditions of it I detected Coheed and Cambria almost immediately and I wanted to ask you then it's like if you had to name just like three influences what would they be and like he's gonna say Coheed he's gonna because <laughs> down to the inflection I mean it, it's astounding uh so I'll I'll give you my usual litany of of bands and it's gonna be weird or shocking or not 
Um, so my favorite band of all time is Yes. Uh, it's oh, good choice. Solid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Like my my, fa- my favorite record, and I say record because really as an album, it's a great cohesive piece. It's close to the edge. Um, it's one of those amazing records where each side is a beautifully self-contained little uh, art form. Close to the Edge is also the the song that's side A, and it's all of side A, and it's a 20-minute epic, and that should give you some idea of why half the songs on my record are like eight, nine minutes long. Yes um, is like the, 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 the polar opposite of today's album. Yes, yeah. yes is like uh, <laughs> texture almost to a fault, as some people almost see it. You know, they can be so sporadic because they're so intricate in all moments. I mean, there's just, it, it doesn't matter any... Every five seconds of Yes has something to offer. Oh, yeah. You know? And that's why I tend to gravitate dramatically towards things that have shape and color and textural differences. I like contrast, um, which actually gets me to one of my other major influences, which is Queen. Uh, and a Queen is a... I still remember I picked up, when I was a kid, a copy of um, Classic Queen... And that was my introduction to the band. And I then went out and obsessively uh, made sure that I got everything on, on CD at the time. And now as an adult, I own original pressings of basically every Queen album. Uh, and it's the same thing. It comes down to talking about even today's record. And Gerard Way and what I like about My Chemical Romance is it's this sense of theatricality. It's this sense of drama. It's this sort of push and pull. Uh, that, and, and the reason I quote these two people, these two bands as being influential to me, is each one adds a piece to the palette of what I've, what I think I've created artistically. And the third element, of course, is in fact Coheed and Cambria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I was obsessed with them when I was uh, like a freshman in college. It was like 2002, and I followed the band around. They were from upstate New York. They played all the local venues, uh, and I just loved the idea of a band that wrote around a narrative. And that's the third piece of the three pieces of what's really influential to me. Wow, I never it's... knew a guy who followed Coheed and Cambria. I know people who follow he like did. old bands like... Joseph. Uh, Joseph yeah. wrote did about he? him. Oh, wrote wow. about them on our site. He followed him? Yeah. Followed him from city to city? Oh, oh he did a little bit of traveling. He had to listen well, that's what to I mean him. specifically about following oh. a band. I mean... Uh, okay. What? <laughs> following <laughs> a band is a, very, is a very like old school thing. It's like, you know, uh, a lot of people do it to like the Grateful Dead. It's like, that's oh, I'm going to go around. Exactly. You're looking for groupies. There you go. Fine. That's the now. Down. Follow, actually, following is, is, is the verb. <laughs> I recently realized that I've been going through uh, clothing cleansing, getting rid of everything that I should probably not ever put on my body again. And it occurred to me, I have enough Coheed and Cam- uh, Cambria shirts that I could only wear Coheed and Cambria shirts for a month, having a clean shirt every day, and I wow. would not have to do laundry. That's scary. Yeah, a friend of mine has offered to make me a Coheed shirt quilt. <laughs> all right, it'd be cool. Yeah, 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 a band yeah, shirt yeah, quote right, would be yeah. kind of cool. It would be cool. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be, be very warm. That would be my one issue because there's no like heavy wool. Double sided, stuffed with a uh, down. That's yeah, the that's, way you'd that's have that, to do you'd it. have to do it. I Enough got shirts a, I could make that happen. <laughs> I got a question for you, because it's very apparent that when you step from the your studio work into the live work, which I've now only heard you because you were technically in the studio, and that studio being the Crash Chord Studio, um, <laughs> but it was live to us, and. The immediate thing that just struck me was how incredibly dynamic you are in live. I mean, I, I don't think we've had a guest with with such incredible range, and it helped, of course, that you brought your own equipment, and you had the ability to really exercise that in a way that some of our guests haven't been able to, because I have to sort of curtail that. But um, 
How long have you been playing live? Because I'd like to know what experience is behind that. Oh man, I've been playing live in bands um, since I was in high school, which was uh, 1998. Uh, so that's going as far back as I've been playing music live. Uh, I sang exclusively for a long time, and I picked up the guitar really because <laughs> I found myself in a situation where it's kind of hard to jam when you're just a vocalist, which is problematic when 90% of the musicians that you play with really just want to lay down a rock groove and, and screw around. Uh, so uh, I started singing in bands as early as 1998. I've gone through several when I was in high school, a number when I was in college, and clearly I've continued my trend of uh, bandy amory. I don't even know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> polybanderousness. Poly, poly, polybanderousness uh, since po then. Polybanderomedy. <laughs> There we go. But uh, that one's the coolest. That's the best so far. Yeah, but I've both been singing and playing guitar uh, with bands uh, now since 2002, so a while. That's not the only thing you do. You also do a lot of production work. Oh, I do all kinds of production work. Uh, actually, I just got off this weekend. Uh, we spent uh, two days in upstate New York at um, Alex Bell. He's the drummer from the Rose West, the Wasties. Basically, every project I play in, Alex plays, and I'm gonna try and pull his like something to get him on the podcast at some point uh but we were up at his parents house uh actually tracking drums and one of the things that we've been doing lately is finding ways to use spaces creatively to get really cool drum capture so that we can use that as the foundation for you know new eps uh we were doing predominantly um music for the upcoming uh eli august and the abandoned buildings uh patreon campaign mm -hmm. that I think is launching I think in a month I don't know what the date is otherwise I would tell you guys here but follow Eli August and they've been buildings on Twitter and I'm sure you'll find out <laughs> um, but we also tracked all the drums for an upcoming Wasty EP uh, which should be pretty cool it's actually very exciting to hear that because the most common thing I hear since I've toured with the Wasties toured finger quotes gone to several shows with them is everyone clamors for some kind of recorded music which there isn't a lot of except for a few moderately decently recorded YouTube tracks um, so it's exciting to hear that you guys are actually laying that down also What's funny to me about your singing and your guitar playing is that that's not even your primary primary. Your primary instrument is what you play in Eli August. Yeah, shockingly enough, I have been playing clarinet longer than anything else. Uh, started that when I was in uh, when I was in middle school, and I remember still. I, I can thank my grandmother for instilling the foundations of music into my head because when I was in middle school, uh, living in Queens, I would have to get up and do 45 minutes of practicing every day before school. <laughs> wow. Clarinet is a very underutilized instrument, I think, in, in, in the rock community at least. It could, it could, and it has a place. It's just, you know, people often don't think of it. Actually, flute and pan flute are probably more used than the clarinet. I'll make, a, I'll make a claim. Clarinet could have saved this album. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. You know, right. all, so here's what you have to do. Uh, everybody listening to the Crash Chords podcast, uh, type uh, or tweet or email or message Gerard Way and say hashtag more clarinet. Hashtag Robert. <laughs> there we go. You'll see it. You'll find the long lists of uh, yeah. previous posts. We've started a weird new internet fetish. <laughs> um, one of the things that I think I want to close with to have you talk about, because, I mean, obviously it's no secret that you're very wordy when it comes to music, or just wordy in general, really, <laughs> um, is so we talked about your influences and, and the bands that you're in now, but 
if there, since you play so many instruments already and you have a production year, what I'm curious about is, is there something that you would want to learn that you haven't yet? And what would that be? Is there a instrument that you're really intrigued in learning, a style of music that you're really intrigued in learning to play, starting another band, <laughs> like any of these things? Like what's the next step? Oh man, uh, I'm a lifelong learner. It's a huge part of who I am, uh, and a part of that is musical, and part of that is outside of it. Is that the but, old joke, career student? <laughs> well, you know how that goes. But, I mean, I have behind my repertoire, uh, while, while I'm predominantly known for being a guitarist, a singer, and a clarinet player, uh, I also play um, mandolin, accordion, banjo, uh, saxophone, uh, bass guitar, I dabble in drums and other types of percussion, I'm learning tin flute. Uh, the big thing I'm doing now is I'm learning how to do traditional claw hammer guitar for a uh, traditional music project I'm working on. With, with... other band members that you're in other <laughs> bands with. Exactly. Uh, well, I play but... piano. <laughs> Actually, I'm taking an online course. So I got course... the range, you know? I'm taking an online course to, do, to catch up on piano, which I haven't played since I was five. Oh, no, he's going to catch uh, up. <laughs> but uh, the thing that I really want to do... Um, uh, the biggest thing for me is actually I've been really missing having the opportunity to really dig into the meat and potatoes of working with the Rose West. So uh, a lot of my efforts are going right now into not specifically learning anything new, but in creating something new. Uh, you guys are probably aware that, you know, talking about how narrative is a big piece of how I, I approach music. Uh, the Rose West has this big overarching uh, science fiction story and... Um, it's been in the works for a while, but it's looking more than likely to happen sometime soon. I'm working on an introductory comic that's uh, sort of lays the foundation for what all of the weird, abstract, intellectual uh, lyrics that come out of me are actually about mm -hmm. in a more concrete way. And then hopefully that'll be a good jumping off point for the next series of songs, because we have a, a couple of old character pieces. We write songs that are either you know set pieces, character pieces, or, or plot drivers. And uh, in particular, there are two character pieces and one plot driver that have been on the back burner from an old, old EP that we need to do a proper recording of sometime soon. Is that, um, leading into the end of this episode, is that where this final track comes from? Is it from those old songs that were never recorded? Oh no, this one is uh, absolutely the newest thing coming off of the Rose West Presses. Uh, and this song really is about... <laughs> Uh, falling sort of backwards through a hole in time, whether it's a literal or a figurative one, because I don't like having to define that for people who listen, but I think you can look at it either way. That's a fascinating premise. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, it's... Uh, if you imagine, it's the second time I've done a retrospective-style song, the first one being the tune Slow Descent from When the Road Darkens. Uh, this song, Trigger, is a lot about imagining the moment of falling back through that period of time and getting to think about what it means to get to redo that moment. So Wow, that's a, that's like a dissertation piece right there. <laughs> Before we get to that final track, um, Steve, do you have a spam mail to read for us? Since we, always. we have not had real fan email in a few weeks, which is a bummer. I'm okay spam? with that. I like laughing and analyzing the spam mail. I can't laugh at the real mail. Well, well, except, for that one, except for that one jerk. <laughs> read a lot of interesting posts here. Probably you spend a lot of time writing. I know how to save you a lot of time. There is an online tool that creates high-quality SEO-friendly posts in seconds. Just type in Google, Laranitas free content. From Ryan. <laughs> it's a name. Well, it's it's actually a name. name. It's not, uh, it's not a um, 
garbled mess. Mm. Nike Prada bag shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Nike like Prada that. bag shoes. We, Nike and Prada have contacted us a lot. Oh, forget about Air Sadly, Jordans. Air Jordans. Sadly, we still have yet to get sponsorship. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> that's true. One of these years, and you'll be all rocking great sneaks. Yeah, it's true <laughs> that no one will see. Um, <laughs> I don't mind actually going Prada, Prada, Prada three times on the show just to get some sponsorship, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying they still haven't If you haven't say Prada it. three times, it appears. They're clearly not so, listening. No. I'm disappointed. Yeah. The bots aren't listening. There we go. You um, think the NSA might be. Our next <laughs> episode is John's pick and John's got a doozy for us so what's the next album we are reviewing after an eight year hiatus one of my favorite bands from my teenage years it finally came back uh, I got into them by watching a random video on MTV but more on that next week we will be reviewing Modest Mouse and their newest album Strangers to Ourselves uh Almost literally just released. This is something that I've been dying to listen to for... I've been talking about it for a while, both on air and off air. Finally got it. We listened to it. We're going we're gonna to dissect it, and hopefully it's better than Green Day. And this is another artist where we can safely say all three members of the podcast are fans of this band. To varying degrees, but we all enjoy Modest Mouse, so another it should big, be a good Another big hi- hiatus as well. I don't know. It seems to be the year of hiatuses. Returns. Return returns. from hiatus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fix Twin with Zero. Uh Black Messiah, um, Daniel and the Vanguard, uh, con- uh, respectively, episodes 126, 128, and now, soon to be, 137. Um, before, well, first, let's set up the final track. The final track, I think we're going with the, the effective name Trigger, as decided by me before the, we <laughs> recorded, um, and by Katie, who is here in silence. So this is Trigger. This is the newest song that you've just wrote, and it's going to be what takes us out. Before we get to that song, please read our sign-off, Robert. And I don't think, I have to point out, I don't think it has ever been truer than uttered by Robert. (laughs) Music is life, and life is good. In the ravage of time Swallowing each stark word of your confession I'm left so ashamed Was it a wreckage of light With a fire that burned its course Without affection Lust without restraint We are flawed Un We hide between the lies we used to live We have fixed our eyes On what is hidden between us Born the cross we used to bear Thought to change your ways when Believed anything Well I've got a shoulder to shudder on Dropped as the earthquake shook And from the middle you said Boy are you ready to roll Ill-advised and avoidable Will it start, will it run, will it end I bet you nobody knows One for me and two to see Three to bend, break sand But if we tried To pull the trigger Only as it is Never live to see another day But what's your rush, love? It's only one last light to echo out 
and follow softly while our world decays. Perfections, shorelines lacking waves. Truth that can never survive from a root of expanding, simpering deception. Trust from minds unswayed. and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.